Hey everybody, welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. Today we're going to be talking about The Phantom Thread that came out in 2017. I would have sworn it came out in 2019. Late 2019, we just missed it. Same here. It's directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, written by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Daniel Day-Lewis. This is their second collaboration after There Will Be Blood, which if you listen to that Commission podcast way back when, you'll know that we liked a whole lot. Uh, It also stars Leslie Manville who I really liked as uh, Lydia Quigley in Harlots. She's the evil harlot from Harlots. And Vicky Kreps, Creeps, Crabes, who I did, I recognized and I looked up in Wikipedia and she had a pretty prominent role in the um, uh, Das Boots um, series that came out a couple years ago. And I know you watched the first couple episodes. I Mm -hmm. watched a lot more, but I never finished it. Hmm. But yeah, she's she's doing good work here too. Um this film, I'll oh, still up uh, up front. This film is about a tailor in 1950s London, like a very uh am I using this word right? Haute couture. A very I exclusive upscale private label uh dresses, princesses for their weddings, countesses for their balls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and, uh, he is, uh, lives with his sister. Um, you get the idea that their mother might've died early or early than he was ready for, which probably was any time in his life. Uh, he lives with his <laughs> sister. She kind of sets up the runs, the, 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 the business aspects mm-hmm. and kind of manages the household and insulates him from any possible distraction from his life's work, which is clothing, beautiful women and beautiful clothes. And he burns through a succession of muses where he gets a young woman who, you know, motivates him to do whatever. And then he kind of like she starts getting resentful of his very rigid, calcified routine. And then he gets pissed off at that. And then they're dismissed. And this is about the latest cycle. Sure. This is I would describe this as, you know, the movie Secretary. No. Uh, with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal and uh, Dave, Dave, uh, Daniel Daniel Spader Spader David Dave, what Spader. Is Dan- David Spader David yeah. who's the guy from Stargate David Spader Jesus Christ the James, fucking James Spader James. Mal Aaronism's account's gonna have a field day with this one James Spader that's okay him. thank you yeah uh the, where he plays they they have like this BDSM boss secretary relationship you've not seen that movie. Okay, well, this is like sec. That's like secretary with Downton Abbey aesthetics, and it's probably I think. Well, I I can't say the other twist on it, or it'll spoil it. So that's kind of what you're getting into. It's a lot of imagine if like the sexiest the secretary got was someone kissing someone's feet that's buried under a mountain of dress, sitting on the most exquisite felt couch you've ever seen uh that's that's what you're getting into this movie that's the hottest it gets and i know it gets some of you filthy perverted freaks really hot so um and it's about that relationship what did you think of the movie uh oh god let's let's be clear i watched this last night one time Mm -hmm. uh and this is a movie that i think it almost requires multiple watches um to truly rewards appreciate. it for sure certainly for sure. rewards it um i found myself most of the way through this movie going okay i recognize that these performances are great um especially the two the two main leads here although you know uh the the sister is not bad either certainly um 
but trying like struggling to see okay what is the point other than showing me a very uh eccentric person's daily routine essentially um and by the end of this movie i had totally changed my mind there's there's something they do toward the end of the film that recontextualizes damn near the entire movie in a way that is unlike anything i've ever seen before i i i won't describe it yet because mm-hmm. i don't want to drop spoilers on people um right. but that to me the end of this movie makes this movie in mm-hmm. it, about like 80 percent of what i liked about it was the ending of this movie although the ride wasn't bad i, I just didn't see the point it was a lot like okay. barry linden um most of the way through this movie where I was, I wasn't hating it. Uh, you know, I wasn't bored to tears like I was with Barry Lyndon because the characters mm-hmm. were interesting and there was some drama going mm-hmm. on there, but I felt like it was similarly pointless um, and made maybe just for beauty's sake. And then uh-huh. the ending totally changed my mind on it. Yeah. Like what if Barry Lyndon had characters you actually cared about um, yeah. and, and people were actually emoting and expressing things. Um, and we never reviewed way, Barry Lyndon, even though we watched right, it maybe because we neither of that. us liked it. <laughs> yeah. We got to it and we're like, do we want to like shit on a great, well-regarded Stanley Cooper? And it would be shitting on. It's just us like, we don't, I, yeah. Like my short review of Barry Lyndon is, uh, I think this is supposed to be a like Monty Python style farce. Like, Doctor Strange love. I was not in on the joke until halfway through the movie when I started noticing like, no, there's no way he's this fucking serious. And it seemed like that's like one of the common accepted ones. Mm-hmm. But like, man, it's going a long way for a thin joke. Uh, but it is damn near the most beautiful film I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and this I, I so I. I feel like I, I really enjoy movie experience watching experiences where like it starts to defy my expectations where I, you know, I, I do the podcast thing like, Oh, someone labels. I, I bet that's, that's uh he's going, there's going to be some message that she unravels late in the thing. And it's going, and I, but like somewhere between the, in the first 30, 40 minutes, like that stopped. And I just, mm-hmm. I just started watching like, this is just inherently interesting and just like wondering things like, you know, why, why did like tailoring ever become like an emasculated thing? Hmm. Like when did it, when, why, why can manly people no longer make dresses and suits and have fine clothes and things like that? It's like, why, why has that been relegated to the, the feminine um, and increasing like this, this is just, and it's like it happened rapidly too. Like if, in, in, uh, if this is like any yeah. kind of like accurate kind of, feel and i assume the pta joint it probably is like that was this is back in the 50s and then i then i started you know it's like but there's like i just started like kind of like noticing and wondering a lot like an ad astra where i just start like i guess admiring it like a modern art piece uh-huh. um but this is that that's like feels like it's damning with faint praise because ad astra is very kind of kubrickian and that it's very devoid of human emotion and there is a little bit of that because like these are very british people and they're trying very hard to maintain that steely grip on their emotions, but they're just fucking roiling full time. Yeah. And you've got uh, the the latest muse uh, um, in his life uh, played by Vicky Creeps. What's Alma? Alma, right. Yeah. Who is upsetting, constantly upsetting that balance. So you see that thing crack and all the emotion and stuff pour out. But man, there was a lot of time in the movie where I was just pondering, like, you know, who's being abused here? Who is doing the abuse? Mm hmm who is the, you know, enabler and like the sister dynamic that he has with, um, uh, 
uh, the shit. What was her name? I can't remember the name Cyril. of any of these people. Yeah, Cyril. Yeah, I remember the the main protagonist's name or antagonist. I don't know what the fuck he is. Reynolds Woodcock. Reynolds, That's yeah. a strong name, Reynolds man. Woodcock. That is a girthy, Same. sturdy name. <laughs> it it is. It is. It feels. It feels like he's either got to be doing this or he is the butler for Archer. Yes, those, those are the only two things he could have possibly done with that name. Um, but yeah, like it's just like it's it kind of like a really fascinating watch. Just uh, it just there's nothing of consequence because these are all just very yeah. like like I mean I, I appreciate fashion in the in the sense that it's art, right? And you can have high art and you have pop art and all that kind of stuff. I do think it's silly when it's like taken to this extreme, you mm-hmm. know, sure. where you go to like a designer and be like, I want to wear a wedding dress that's the only wedding dress in fact it's the only wedding dress that's ever been in the history of me like when you i'm like okay settle down it's it's art but like yeah. it's still fascinating because this movie takes it very seriously the people obviously in the movie take it extremely uh, fa- uh, seriously uh, seriously and i just found it really fascinating to watch and gorgeous mm-hmm. uh very similar to the uh, Barry Lyndon, this is another one of those every frame kind of a painting. It's the way it's lit, it's shot with firelight a lot of times. It's just the fabric. Oh, my God. You can just, like, feel how, like, soft and velvety and and also how stiff and conforming some of the material was. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's, like, really up close, like, sensuous stitch work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's pretty, it's like I said, it's... Did you have any expectations for this film coming into it? No, uh, I know... You know, obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis from other movies, uh, there will be blood, etc. And I expected that he would be great in it, and he absolutely is. He's fantastic. Um, and I knew that he was a dressmaker in this movie, and I had zero mm-hmm. other expectations. Yeah, like in like uh, There Will Be Blood, that's another film that I was like really looking forward to watching because I'm not even sure why we didn't make this a first-run bald movie. I know it was like circled in red on the bald move calendar, and I feel like maybe you were in Rome or maybe I was really sick or like there was something that kept us from getting to it. Um, but it's one of those things where like, yeah, yeah, I really want to watch it, but going into there will be blood. I knew that that dude was an oil man and he drank a milkshake. Right. Um, which is (laughs) one more thing than I knew about this film, which is, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. about a dressmaker, um, um, a fashion guy. I guess I knew it was going to be a bit of a romantic drama. Um, though, Boy, it's hard to describe this movie as romantic when you get to the end of it. And yet and yet it's perfectly fitting as well. I yeah, I'm very, very confused and conflicted and delighted and surprised by the end of this movie. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, it's, it became a lot more because I, I, I thought this was going to be like you said, kind of like, well, it's a kind of a thinker art piece, like mm-hmm. question the nature of relationships and power dynamics and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And it's interesting. And then the last little bit kind of like you said, elevated. It's not quite the sixth sense, but it is something where it's like, yeah, the only thing I want to do is like, man, I just want to rewatch this film and see if this informs a bunch of different stuff in the movie. Yeah, it doesn't um, it doesn't recontextualize quite as much as the sixth sense, which is, you know, one of the ultimate examples of that. But it does, it, it is, it, there's more art to what it's doing at the end of this film than mm-hmm. anything Sixth Sense did at the end. Um, mm-hmm. And just the way it makes you feel about the characters um, and what they've been doing all along. I don't know. It's it's great. And I really felt like in the script, like Paul Thomas Anderson is very good because... 
like you're just thrown into the middle of this intense kind of relationship and you have all these questions like, well, how did this relationship begin? Why is it ending? Why is he being so cold? Why is this woman so needy? Why is and then you're at the end of things and you carry that little brief knowledge and those questions into the beginning of the other relationship. And I think subconsciously he's constructing this so that you are just going down this path. It's like a magician misdirecting you into thinking that you know what this is going to be about and you know what makes these people tick and you know what. Mm-hmm. And really at the end, he's that he's by doing that and knowing that like, oh, if I do this then they're going to wonder this. And then if I give this little hint, then they're going to think that. Like he's really able to kind of pull the rug out from underneath underneath you at the end. And yeah, I mean, I I, I think this is like a 72 percent on Rotten Tomatoes without the last five minutes or so of the movie. And that's why it's like sure. what, 92, 3 percent. Like, yeah, the critics okay. really fucking love it. But um, also, like, you know, if you're going in this movie and you're it's not to your taste because it's also kind of slow and glacial and very intense study then I can see you being like, what the fuck did I just watch? I mean, honestly, um, the performances carry me through. Like if if the two leads just are yeah. any less good, I get bored with this movie. But watching them is so yeah. fascinating. They can literally just be staring at each other and there's so much yeah. going on, so much that's being yeah. unsaid but communicated in those shots. Yeah, w- with less lesser performers, this would have not worked. And every like, there's a lot of these things that feel like battles. You know, like I'm like, uh, you know, Alma's going to go to war with Cyril and the battlefield is this date night and you you watch it and you're like, oh, God, this is a disaster. Oh, well, maybe it's not going to be. And like you're kind of scoring and, and like, well. Was that that was a loss, but maybe strategically it was a win mm-hmm. because this other thing. And it's I, I just felt like there's a lot of like really interesting, like tactical and strategic emotional things going on. And like you said, these are all communicated. The you know, it's not swords clashing together and armies, you know, fighting. It's like eyebrows raised and a brow that's furrowed. And this Jesus Christ, it sounds really pretentious, but it's like, I don't know if you've it, ever it been is. like. <laughs> Imagine like those dinner parties where you're at a friend's house and like friends you barely know, just like, have you ever been in a situation like that where like friends you barely know, or maybe that you do know them, they just light into each other. And it's like this facade of like everyone, like one couple just like fucking goes at it. Like, you know, and it's like, it's fascinating, but it's also deeply uncomfortable. Like this is a whole movie of that kind of stuff. (laughs) And you can just sit as a fly in the wall and watch it all. And there's, you know, no referees and it's like kind of very voyeuristic, but, uh, and I think that's okay. I want to ask you a question. Do you think this movie is sexy? Uh, I I might have to like divide it into parts to answer that question and feel good about it. But, not 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 so much no like i think it's it's sumptuous it is like Hmm. sensual but sexy no i think it's like a lot of it and then and um i definitely it's not quite to my wavelength but i i got enough that i think it is supposed to be like very Hmm. sexy and almost erotic in places but it's like again the kind of eroticism where like you get your feet kissed under a pile of exquisite dresses on a very plush couch yeah, like you said, um, not, like, not really to my of, taste, you know, like like Downton Abbey type of eroticism. Um, but yeah, like I think that um, this is movies about in its core. Like, OK, do you think it's romantic? 
Yes. In either the Anne of Green Gables uh, way or also just a conventional <laughs> man and women, women, and women, man, man, whatever combination love each other. Also, not to my taste of romance, but certainly it is is meant to be romantic. Yes. Yeah, I think it's all, all those things in, in, in very much the same way. Like, um, I wish, man, I thought, sure, you'd seen Secretary, but mm-hmm. it's like it gave me so many vibes on that where it's like it, it's like. I, I can't co-sign that this is healthy behavior, right? No, God, no. But it's 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 interesting to kind of like in extreme situations and with extreme personalities and and like uh, if you've also got the financial freedom to be weird, like what kind of weird dynamics mm-hmm. can can pop up and and be like, you know, like I'm not saying this is healthy, but like this is also seems to be a workable type of relationship to have. And I felt the same like it it's. It, and I'm not I'm not saying that as I'm co-signing this. I'm saying that, like, yeah. that's the similar kind of wrestling I had throughout watching this movie that you do with secretary. Like, well, there's no fucking way you can do that as a boss and an employee. But like, oh, on the other hand, and, and it's where do you come down on that? It's like that. That's an interesting. I don't know. I, I just think those are really interesting concepts. And I do find it like the idea that you're going to put yourself entirely in someone else's power. To where yeah. you're going to both free yourself from the responsibility of making decisions, but also trust that the other person is going to, on some level, you know, make those best decisions. So you, you'd make the decision for you if you really thought it through, but they know you well enough and they care for you enough to do those things for you. Um, and what does it feel like? What, what kind of betrayal does it feel like when they don't hold up to their end of the bargain? Like, that's a weird relationship, but it's a very strong and passionate relationship and what happens when the other person gets bored and forgets to tell you how many peas you're supposed to eat that day or how you're supposed to dress or how quiet you're supposed to be at breakfast or whether it's time to stop working if you want to turn it the telescope the other way when you need to step back and like you're too you're too intensely invested in it um i can see why that is both very romantic and sexy and and would be secure and stable but also you can see where it could get imbalanced and really fucked up too Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of fucked up dynamics in this movie. Um, the the most fascinating one, certainly to me, is Daniel Day-Lewis's character because he is a man who is extremely poised. Uh, he he mm. is defined by control um, in all aspects of his life, both his dressmaking and his just personal habits. And I think he views that as strength it, really throughout the entire movie. Um, but, but it's driven by some trauma. Um, it's, it's definitely not a healthy way of being, even though he's very successful, right? Um, yeah, he's at the top of his dressmaking game. Everyone loves his royalty comes from other countries to be dressed by him. And, and that could be seen from the outside as this man has it all. This man is the, the perfect, uh, person you you want to be like this guy and yet we see how that destroys all his relationships of which he has basically only one uh his sister and even that relationship that dynamic is so fucked up because he has forced her into his life If, if his life were a puzzle she's one of the pieces that he has forced in uh and made to been made to conform to wherever he placed her and they the movie doesn't like explicitly get to that from her side, but it definitely does like approach that topic um, when it comes to Alma, right? Because she he's trying to do the same with her. Yeah, 
Yeah. And she's no, just a it's... little bit more of a wild stallion, right? She's not going to be forced into that, that place. So, and yet she also wants to be, it's, there's this push and pull between like, do I love and respect this person or am I trying to uh, love and respect myself as well? You know, yeah, how, how much, yeah. how much of him am I going to become and how much of me can I retain? Right. Um, I tell you what, let's take a quick break and then let's get into a spoiler discussion because we're kind of like tiptoeing around certain okay. subjects and I want to start moving past that. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back and we're going to start talking spoilers. I want to dive into the sister thing because I felt very kind of similar to what you were saying and that like it seems that her role is that she is kind of like the day to day pressure release valve for him because she can always take whatever abuse and she's always willing to fold herself in whatever pretzel that he requires that day. But she's also the ultimate lash that keeps him to the wheel. Like anytime he starts to crack and True. like say that he wants to get out of this kind of life that he's constructed for them both. She like transforms into like, you know, like she find like when she finally draws the line and the line is always him wanting to stop or get out or take a set. She's mm-hmm. like, you know, you don't want to fight with me because if you fight, if you fight. If you actually fight me, I'll go through you and you'll be the one lying on the floor. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't like that's like I thought that was a really fascinating exchange because it just shows that ultimately she's as committed to this thing as he is. Yeah. Um, And it's also all wrapped up like the thing that's very fascinating is his relationship with his mother. Like, is this like a Norman Bates type of relationship he has with his mother? Because it's like I feel like that's like the er unhealthy relationship where he keeps on saying Oh, don't you think the concept of the dead watching over us is comforting that they can see what we're doing and they get, but like also he's so clearly driven by his mother's approval. Yeah. Um, and that being ripped away from him is something that he's like clearly trans. And I think his, you can also see his sister is kind of like shaped by those same forces, mm-hmm. but it's only like you, you can see the impression that the mother left on their lives, but you never see anything except for that weird scene where he's tripping on mushrooms and, She's just this very severe figure. And it's kind of like she doesn't look loving. She doesn't look. She's just kind of severe and judgmental. At least that's what I got from it. Um, Yeah, I mean, she's silent, right? She's not giving. And I think it's interesting, too, because as he's getting older, that that sense of her is fading too. one of the things that scene is doing is saying, you don't talk to me. I can't I can't hear you anymore. That that kind of thing. He's he's losing that. And I think also he's losing his appeal in the wider culture too. there there's a scene about you know the word chic uh in reference to fashion that he absolutely blows up at um but yeah the main thrust of that scene is definitely his mother has been the driving force uh in his obsession with dresses and there is like there's something he sees in alma that's also a part of that right like the dressing of of Alma is almost like a dressing of his mother um, in her wedding dress. Do you think that's, 
huh i wonder if because uh, i didn't quite see that connection is more of uh definitely the obsession came from the mother he she, you know he explicitly says she taught me my trade uh, um and then alma's just a latest string and muses um and i don't know because like there does well, he, seem maybe maybe you're right because you, she his sister says there's a commonality in every muse that she has and honestly right, their body we type got, we, they're the, the, the we belly, saw the right, first like one and that. she's very much like alma right and then yeah. But I, I guess I thought that the mother would more strongly resemble if they were going to make a one to one comparison that like, you know, he likes a little bit of a sag and he likes the things in a woman, woman that reminds him of his mother. Right. Uh, so turning from the, the mother briefly, um, I thought it's interesting the way because I, I talked to him in the intro about like a PTA being a bit of a magician using a lot of misdirection. And I think he wants us to think that this is an abusive controlling relationship from the man's perspective. And. I'm not going to say if, if if that's that's what you want to take at face value. It's not true because holy shit, this Reynolds guy is a lot, a lot to work. But the way he yeah. opens it with like there's this framing device of the young doctor, like after he's seen, you know, Reynolds for the second or third or how and whoever knows like, the time is a little fuzzy, especially towards the end of the film uh, where she's kind of having an interview with him after he's treated her husband for his latest bout of illness. Um, and you don't even know this. You don't yeah. even know. You just know this person's talking to another person. In fact, I thought it was Daniel Day Lewis she was talking to in the beginning. And it was a four. But I think after I've seen it once, it's the doctor. And she says, you know, that Reynolds makes my dreams come true. And in return, I gave him everything he wanted, which was every piece of me. And the guy's like, oh, it sounds like a very demeaning man. Quite a challenge. She smiles. And then I think the end of the movie, you're supposed to realize that the er dominant in this relationship is actually, um, oh, I, uh, God, why can't I remember Alma. this one's name? Yeah. Alma. I want to say Arvin or Emma, uh, <laughs> Alma. She's the actual one that's in control because the only control she has is his break. And the yes. only way she can yeah. trip it is by poisoning with mushrooms. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the recontextualization of that is, powerful um it, it, it's it's mixed up in like romance and uh a, a munchausen by proxy there's yes. like this voluntary munchausen by proxy stuff that happens at the end of this movie blew my freaking mind i, I when he sits down to eat that omelet i'm i'm thinking yeah. what he knows is this is this a game of chicken to him is he saying well she will break and tell me that she's poisoned me no this is consensual this is he realizes that he needs someone like her to pull him back from the brink when he is so obsessed when he has gone that, so that hard he's going to lose everything in terms of human connections and, and whatnot and she's um, there with the the omelets to pull him back from that and it's disturbing but also very romantic it's i've never quite seen anything like it like so you should see secretary man because it's like the exact because like that's the thing is like this is <laughs> okay. like secretary except for a gender bins at the very last huh. um and i was trying to think of it if it earned that because like the thing is is like this is like it's fucking wild it's like when like uh the first time the thing happens between maggie gyllenhaal and and spader it's wild and you're like what the fuck this is can't be g-. you know because like my first thought is like oh this is going into like thriller territory she's going to kill this guy uh-huh. the sister I thought like Daniel Day is checking out here. The last act is just going to be the sister pitched in Mortal Kombat for the whatever, or that she's just gone yeah. crazy. Gonna get, 
Like I, I wasn't a sure, much but more like, contemporary tragedy or a much more uh, standard like tragedy. But it's an sort of it's, I just want to point out that it is an entirely insane reaction to like, oh, my God, this guy's replacing me like I always knew he would. The uh-huh. only thing I can do is poison him with mushrooms uh-huh. so that he fucks up this big deadline and has to pay attention to me. Yeah. Which is that's well, so interesting. It, it, and it's not just pay attention to her either. It's like she wants to take care of him, right? She wants him to need her. And right. that's where like the mothering sort of aspect comes in to, to mm. me. That was one of the stronger connections to the, the, the mother is like, oh, shit. I completely missed that. Yeah, that this is a very mothering thing. And for in fact, sure, yeah. she takes when she, she talks about him, how she open does take. and vulnerable he is in that state. Right. And. And that was the thing that kind of surprised me, too. I, d- I don't know about that very first time where they tell you, like, he's there's a fashion show that he does in his apartment workshop. I both mm-hmm. whatever it is, that building. Um, and afterward, he has this look of stress on his face. He's very stressed. And then he just comes down uh, with I don't know if it's an illness or if he just like has a, a breakdown and goes and lays in it's a bed depressive for, episode. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell if the end of this movie was suggesting that that was the first time she had poisoned him maybe. Um, and that we just weren't given that information at the time. See, there's like, I mean, like I said, there's, there's a very similar dynamic in secretary where, uh, Maggie, Maggie just light spoilers for this. Maggie Gyllenhaal is someone who self harms. Okay. And it turns out James Spader is a sadist. Um, so like he channels her desire to hurt herself into him, like elaborately disciplining her, Mm -hmm. but like he won't like go too far because he loves her where she might like really hurt herself. Um, and it's like I said, it's, it's all fucking very problematic and intentionally so, but like, I kind of think that what you're seeing is like what he would do untreated quote unquote by the mushroom solution is that he just goes into this depressive episode where he kind of pulls a Tony Soprano where he can't get himself out of bed for weeks at a time. Everything comes to a halt. It's like, you know, and what can you, you know, what, what can you say? Like the guy, you know, whereas if he's sick, Oh, he, you know, he came down to something and he's throwing up and like, there's nothing embarrassing about that. And society understand, like, I think it's transmuting the kind of a, the mental and emotional weakness um, of, of, of uh, you know, his complex set of mental and emotional issues and yeah. converting it into a physical weakness, which 1950s London society is better able to understand. For sure. And you, you see that, too, like um, there's this duchess who is starting to spiral into some kind of thing, you know, yeah. And everyone is horrified by her and like will pull away like he like there's this like really tough scene scene where he's like repossessing this woman's dress because she's carried on. And I think you're supposed to understand that like, yeah, that's what happens to you in high society. If you just start acting weird, man, yeah. like you can cheat on your wife and you can steal, you can right. rob people blind and you can do all that kind of stuff. But what you can't be, you can't just like cry at parties, man. Mm-hmm. You can't just go on about how ugly you are and how no person like that stuff weirds people out. So it's like this transmuting the emotional weakness into a physical weakness, I think, is part of it. But that's why I'm saying, like, man, I would love to watch this movie three more times to see, right. like, all the different theories that I could test and, 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 and what they're actually trying to say. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I definitely need more than one watch to appreciate this movie. 
but also feel like there's a lot there that just like I said, like, you know, all this feels pretty like like you said, the mother issue, the emotional versus physical weakness issue, the 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 power and control struggle, because that's the other thing is that. um it seems like one of the things they're trying to say about his other muses is they were, you know, that, that phrase I kept on thinking about that phrase about uh, a, a man who tailors himself to meet others expectations or whatever will eventually find himself in an ill fit because they'll just keep trimming and trimming and trimming and then there's no material left, you know, mm. um, and like these women are like going through all of his absurd hoops and they show like there's there's a, so many great scenes where this is none of this stuff is expressed verbally. The movie doesn't like have people talking about the situation, but you'll see no. him like, you know, she's just buttering her toast and, you know, toast is sh- scrape, 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 clink as it goes through. And he's like, oh, my God, why do you have to be so loud? It's You're as like if you galloping rode a horse through the living room. This is breakfast. This is too much activity for breakfast. And then when he's going through a depressive episode, then when he's up, when things have gone really his way, he's like fucking dancing through the kitchen and he's got people stamping and stomping yeah. and he's like loading up on the sausages and making And you can see on her face like. Well, this is a like it's like uh, in Mean Girls where the Queen Bee starts, you know, wearing sweatpants uh, non Friday and they're like, you can't break. So she has that moment and then it becomes like a struggle of wills. Yeah. Like, oh, you will only eat shit cooked in butter. Well, I'm going to or fried in oil. Well, I'm going to cook it in butter. Fuck you. Um, and like trying to get him to bend to her. And then it becomes, like I said, that 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 real struggle. And it culminates in when she thinks she's about to be dismissed. She fucking poisons mushrooms and then to get married. And I'm like, uh huh. No, it's wild, man. Uh, and and when they do recontextualize that first scene where she's talking about, uh, you know, all he asks is every piece of me. Um, yeah. It, that is like, well, did he. I don't know whether he got I mean, I guess he got that like she's totally devoted to him, but also. Neither of them have really changed, right? By the end of this, I I keep looking for the conventional romantic drama where, or romantic tragedy, either one out of this movie, and it sort of gets to both places and neither at the same time. I I don't know how to describe it other than it was exactly not what I expected. Exactly what not what I expected. They're very odd puzzle pieces, and they fit together. And the movie wants you to say that like they fit together perfectly. And like, yeah. that's a very romantic concept. Right. But it's also sure. like a fine line between I mean, it's it's high fantasy. This is this is um, a Downton Abbey version, of Joker and Harley Quinn. Right. OK. You know? Yeah. Why not? You know, she's the only one crazy enough for him. And, you know, but but God got, you know, and she, she he scared her and all this stuff. But God help anyone that disrespects his queen bull like that kind of like, yo, know, like, do you guys know you guys are actually just terrible people. This is yeah. uh, this is a, a close kin to like um, uh, Jersey Shore. You know, you don't know me like as you're stripped down to the club, uh, the naked to the waist at the club, starting a fight with a bartender like. No, this is all very unhealthy, but it's kind of it's a nice fantasy, right? Like if you're with the sure. person that like you've gone through some kind of like big Titanic struggle and, you know, you've, you've been through like there, there's a romantic way to kind of look at those things i think this is it it's but that's not again endorsing it i don't know if i i'm I'm articulating my theories here correctly or the ideas that this film or is trying to get across but that's what i was getting you know Uh like it's a very like this is a very particular sketch of a very particular relationship and within the bounds like can it be some version of happy but 
even in that, like you got this idea is like, she's going to take like 10 years off this guy's life with the mushroom treatments. Uh, Probably. Yeah. And then step but, into his shoes or, I mean, what is, cause, okay. The end of this movie also has like a hazy sort of theoretical future that Alma comes up with um, and sees herself with a child and taking care of, you know, the, the dressmaking business while he is down and out with the mushrooms how much of this is accurate, I guess? Do, do you think that this is the future that they have together? Or is this some fantasy that she's living in with a with a man who would never let that happen? Or or that's just not their future? Man, that's a good question, because I think it's real. And I think that uh, his sister actually comes around on Alma and starts somewhere in the, the last yeah. bit of the movie, starts understanding what they're about and respecting it. Mm-hmm. Um. It almost and like the qu- uh, Alma is sort of a version of herself too, keeping this man on track from like approaching it from a very different angle, but yeah, giving him the thing he needs to continue on with his dressmaking. Well, I, I guess you got to say is like, what is the real Reynolds? Is the real Reynolds the guy who retreats behind all these walls and these restrictions and this the and just obsesses with work to the extent that like it, it's such a great scene in the beginning where he's seducing her. And she's so charming and so complimentary. But like once he's like a spider, once he gets her into his workshop and web, he just like turns into a fucking robot. Yeah, he's just like laser measuring her body and dealing with all the. And. I think that like. The question is, is that the real Reynolds or is the real Reynolds, the guy that after he has his mushroom trip says there are many things I want to do in my life and I'm running out of time. And a house that never changes is a dead house. Like, which is the real Reynolds? Mm-hmm. Because, like, if the latter is the real Reynolds, then you could argue that even if she takes 10 or 15 years off his life with the mushroom treatment, he's has a son and he got married right. and they're now doing he's he's living a life that's more than just being a like computer driven AI sewing machine. Right. So, then, like, yeah. is that like, it, as true as self? Would he make that trade that like, yeah, you dominate me. You're my tea mommy and I'll be a good <laughs> little boy and I'll do like, is that where is that what he needs to be happy? I think that's the key question. Maybe not like, is this the, the true version of him? Because I think there are many different versions of him. Certainly mm. two major ones that are portrayed in this film. But the question is like that curse, because there's we haven't talked about it yet, but over the course of this movie, there is this curse that is talked about of uh, the dressmaker's curse where yeah. if you make a wedding dress uh, and your hands touch this dress, you will not get married. And, and you're talking about this, you know, sec, uh, second mushroom trip, first mushroom trip, whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. where he then like comes out of it and he is like, I need to break this curse. We let's get married. And they do. And I think, the movie is saying by the end of this that Alma has helped him to break that curse because a he got married, which is, you know, if you believe the superstition, not possible because he made the mm-hmm. wedding dress for his mother uh, and B he's <laughs> that relationship is working for him, right? It's it's a thing that is making him sicker, but happier sicker mm-hmm. but healthier in a in a emotional way like physically yeah. ill but emotionally more healthy it's yeah. th- that is the breaking of the curse that happens over the course of this movie and i think the movie is trying to say that, that is overall 
a very good thing for both of them. Yeah, 1950s England where you can't just go to therapy and get some fucking pharmaceutical help with your depressive episodes, then yeah, having a wife that occasionally poisons you to keep you from working yourself to death and drags you into humanity. Yeah, no, I, I, uh-huh. I, 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 I 100% agree with what you're saying. And there's also a lot of other hints where that he kind of doesn't like to be in control. For example, he's very precise and mannered, but he drives like a fucking maniac. He yeah. drives like Lawrence of fucking Arabia in like a, a goddamn war PTSD binge. Like, <laughs> and I, I, love the I remember work thinking like they do on that too. Man, they make it because like because like, I, I wondered like is this just a camera angle that's making him look in this tear ass? Because I've never, you know, you, you it's it's yeah. like this that's like the racing view, the three quarters racing view that you select on like you know the the old daytona racing games right sure like it's just kind of like a camera welded to the ass uh, of this of this car but then you see like shots from inside and like he is he's just like careening around corners and like he's frightening the people that he's with yeah what that is such a contrast to everything else in his life where he's so buttoned he's so regulated and he's so in control um, and you get the impression that know, him like, going to the country is almost all about that drive right mm, that point where he can mm. sort of you know, be in control, but feel out of control a little bit because of the speed. He might just be manic depressive because now I'm actually thinking about yeah. like the times where he's like really up and he's like just eating like tons of fatty foods and creams and all this stuff. And like he has these like just lavish. And then when he's down, he goes into like starving himself and like just eating yeah. toast and water and um and getting yeah. rid of the people in his house who try to give him pastries, you know, it's like. So yeah. my question is, like, obviously, this isn't the way I would like to choose to live my and I want to I want to take the the tea mommy stuff off the table. Like, I okay. just want to say to like, is it invalid to live a life where it's like, you know, I do this one thing. It's my passion. Um, I don't have room for anyone else in my life. If you know, for occasionally I do take people in because they inspire me and I'm very passionately engaged with them, but I'm going to get bored with you. Like, I feel like no, it's not in Yeah. Like, like I, I always felt there was a, like a little bit of like, I don't know how much sympathy I feel for Alma for feeling discarded because like from the very first date, he kind of like, I will, I'm very charming and I'm very handsome. And I lavish you with attention. But also, like, I have this other thing that's cold and calculating and it's going to make you feel used. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like three months in, he's like, oh, let me show you my, you know, dress shop. Um, yeah, like I the, the I, But I think the movie has like an opinion that that would be a bad thing. That like if you just all go through your life where you just have your sister protecting you from the outside world and you continually take in pretty things to cast them away that that will be bad and finding your mushroom mama is the way to happiness. Uh, that's, that's sure. the theme. Of the it movie, certainly yeah. is for this guy. Um, and, 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 you know, probably all the, I mean, there's a certain amount of obsession that leads someone to be this successful and good at what they do. And that can certainly be unhealthy, but I think probably for some people, that's exactly how they want to live. And I wouldn't begrudge them that. But from the muse's perspective, I guess the romantic part of their end of the relationship, because otherwise yeah. they're just an ex- they're just a a sentient doll, uh-huh. is that I'm going to be the person who is so interesting and is so beguiling that they will never forget me, and they'll never I'll I'll never have a conversation that they don't participate in. Like it's it's not going to be me, right? Like the challenge yeah, of like that's. Uh... 
it's a poor way to approach this relationship certainly right right um so it's like one of those things where i feel like in the intro of the movie they're, they're almost saying like he and he even frames it like that it's like i'm never going to get married because i find getting married would make me a dishonest man and you see a little bit of that too like what he's afraid yeah. of where you know, like she's clearly done something that she wants on her terms, just like, you know, give him a date night where she's going to cook everything. But it's like she's try- challenging him. And yeah. he's like, I don't I don't I don't want this. But he's game. He understands that, like, you know, she did a special thing and he loves her. So he's and then she gets resentful of him not being honest. Then he gets angry. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I felt like that. Like yeah, I, I I was like scoring a movie like whose side am I on? And I was pretty much always yeah. on Reynolds' side for the beginning because like, well, this is extreme, but also it's not like he conned anybody. And also like the right. first sign that she's like, well, I'm not happy with this. He's like, well, then go. You it's, know, it's amazing. If you think how... I need you, or like I'm gonna die without you. Let me, I'll set yeah. you off that hook. Like I'll be fine. Just and that's cold, but it's honest. I. Yeah, it is especially cold when I don't get the impression that she's being paid for her time um she's like a a live-in model for him um oh really who, i thought there was some kind to of live deal. in his home and gets to you know eat his food and it, i don't get the impression that she's being appropriately compensated here financially such that she would be okay uh with just leaving because that's she, problematic because i yeah, thought that yeah. that's i thought it was understood that she was being compensated maybe and, so you know uh, maybe working I just as a mop um, well, but it's an assumption because like, you know, like you have free room and board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I'm also foggy about how many years pass. Yeah. Like, I think it's less than a year. But when you get to the end of the movie and there's maybe. kids involved and stuff, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm looking at 10, 15 years down and he's a little frailer looking. But certainly in the imagined if- future. Yeah, I th- I think so. And and I don't think that stuff actually happens. I think it's what she wants to happen or whatever. Uh the the thing about that dinner scene uh where she's trying to treat him to a nice dinner and it is nothing like what he usually has. Um it's in fact things that she knows he dislikes. Um and she's challenging him. There is a moment where he attempts politeness. He attempts uh it, I wouldn't even say he attempts to be dishonest with her. He simply attempts to step out of his comfort zone but he's not very good at it right like this is a man who is shockingly dishonest all of the time and yet i never feel like he is he is anything but honest with people right like he's he's dishonest with himself like living this life is not what he Uh, wants living this life is like out out of some sense of trauma but he will never allow himself to admit that and yet mm. with well, with other people, he is yeah. uh, d- d- <laughs> shockingly honest with them and frank yeah, f- and, honest to a fault for. Yeah, right. Telling them, like, look, I will never get married. Uh, it, it, he basically says everything that is going to happen to you from here on Alma is negative. And so don't get your hopes up in not so many words. And then all that happens. Yeah, I, the the dishonesty that he has with himself is super interesting considering how he interacts with other people. Hmm. That's interesting because you're, I mean, that goes back to like, who is the true Reynolds is to true Reynolds, the severe kind of like fashion vampire that lives in his castle. Is he the guy who wants to do more things and wants to have a fuller life and 
you know, because I, I feel like the, all this stuff came from the mother, like mm-hmm. all those those kids, uh, the both the brother and sister consistently reflect this cold kind of like stiff upper lip, like, well, everybody's yeah. got a hard, but I don't need to hear you whining about it. Like, I heard that version, like given that speech given to so many different people throughout the course of this movie, essentially chin up, stop whining. Right. Why are you groaning? It's hurting my ears. Like, that's that's the stuff that they heard from their 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 mother growing up. Um. And I don't know, because like the, on the other side, because like, why is this? So uh, this has all been kind of like, you know, why is Reynolds benefit from this relationship? But why does Alma? And that's the thing that I didn't quite understand, because they never I never thought that Alma was a particularly crushed being who didn't have a appropriate uh-huh. self-esteem. But I think you're supposed to expect think that she's like something out of like a Twilight. She's like Bella from Twilight. And she's like very insecure and she doesn't understand her own beauty because there's a couple of things that they. Yeah, frankly, tell don't show where in these voiceovers, these recurrent things where she's having this fireside conversation with, I think, the young doctor could be anybody Mm. where she says things like, um, you know. In his work, I become perfect. I'm just right. Like, like all the things I thought were ugly or beautiful. And I see myself at my full potential and I feel loved and I feel all these kind of things. So for whatever reason, like, you know, when she's at the the common, the the pub, the free pub, uh, she's not getting those feelings of fulfillment and um, empowerment that he gives her wearing these beautiful clothes. So and they never give us even a glimpse of her background, her story before he sees her in that. Uh, diner or that hotel and there's like what is so here's another question i don't know the answer to she gets invited to his new year party new year's party um he it's new year's eve and she's like i want to go out and dance and he's like fuck that i want to work i'm not gonna go out and dance so she puts on one of his dresses and goes to this new year's party that this this uh this young hot doctor aristocratic doctor invited her to mm-hmm it eats at him and he eventually goes to pursue her and he's at this balcony and he sees this like this is like the stereotypical vulgar like I don't even know how you describe this thing. This is like a bacchanal like there are starting to be fights breaking out. There are people in various stages. I'm this could go like full eyes wide shut. Yeah. And he you can tell like what's there's there's a moment where like she's just kind of like dancing in a circle and I think he thinks it's nice that she's like he's admiring her like in his dress and how it's fluid and then like there's something where the party kind of turns ugly as he's watching it and he goes and storms down there and he's looking for looking for but she's not in like she's withdrawn and like she's gone to because what are they saying I'll tell I want to know what you think they're saying and I'm going to try to come up with an explanation of what they're saying I dude I have no idea this was one of the most confusing scenes to me because the the young doctor guy never even shows up. We never see him at this party. He might be uh, there. He might have a teddy bear mask on or some shit. Who knows? But oh yeah, maybe he is. But the movie never tells us that. Uh, mm-hmm. It and and by the end, it, when he goes down to like pull her out of the situation, she's sort of like pouting up against a wall. And, and I never saw anything about this party that had dramatically shifted. Um, the, the, you know, the, the ball dropped or whatever happened in 1950 in Britain. Uh, you know, the, the clock struck midnight and suddenly this party became something different to her and she sort of left the, the crowd and then he comes over there and just drags her out of this thing. I, I honestly have no idea what's happening there. I think the party, there is something that changed in the party. Like people got, cause like there, I think there's a parallel between, is it the Duchess that got married 
um, or was going to her son's wedding. And she was like the, we talked about this depressive person who's was very low self-esteem and always thought she was ugly. And, uh, and then she passes out drunk into his dress and he goes and repossesses it. I think you're supposed to draw oh, yeah. a line between like the dignity of his fabric and like he goes down there, the head of steam thinking that she is being this type of person, whereas she herself has segregated and is no longer part of the party standing out, like has enough respect for the dignity of his work that she's already moved them. And they have this like long scene where they regard each other. And I think she meets his approval because, you know, he didn't want his dress to be associated with this bowdy type of behavior. And then he takes possession of her and takes her home. But in like a taken in hand kind of way, not like a savage, reluctant kind of way. Um, okay. I mean, she is definitely, if I remember correctly, in the first dress that he made for her. Oh, you're right. So that so there's even more special sense. Meaning. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's the thing. It's like that's where I keep going back to secretary, because like part of that dead dynamic when you have like a dominant sub or and this is like a, a switch power exchange experience um, where they yeah. kind of hand it back and forth to each other. Is that like sometimes the the submissive or the masochist does stuff to deliberately provoke a reaction or a punishment because that's kind of what they really want and need. Right. Um, And I that's what I'm saying. Like, I think at the end of the movie, you're supposed to realize that, like. Because I didn't know up until he took that first bite that he was aware that she had poisoned him in the first place. And I still couldn't tell you when he figured it out. Same here. Because it could be as he was starting to chew and then he looks at her, the significant look, and she just comes completely clean and like lays bare, like in a very sexual way. Like, I want you flat on your back and helpless, mm-hmm. like a mewling child. And then I want to be the only one there for you that's going to nurse you. And, and then you're going to be weak. And then I'm going to make you strong again. Like, that's some pretty hot shit from like, uh, like, a. Uh, a uh, sub- master submissive type of relationship, right? Like that's yeah, the shit guess, that gets you weak in the knees and moist. I don't know. Maybe I I don't truck with that, but I I wasn't feeling like no, the I'm, sexual I'm t- part of this. It's like a yeah. It, I mean, there's definitely like a dominance and submission and stuff like that, but it didn't feel very sexual to me, and I don't really know why. Well, so that's the other thing. It's like um. And I, mean, I keep going back to secretary, but like uh, Spader's got a very odd sexuality where he's not much into penetrative sex. He's more into like doing things that get him all kind of like and then he's like just furt- furtively jerks off. And that's the sex that he has throughout most of the film. Huh. Do you think that Reynolds has like because like he's a 1950s gentleman and then the first been he's so masculine and like I'm thinking like, yeah, why did Taylor's ever like be regu- relegated to like fem- fe- uh, women? I know this is not strictly true. Mm-hmm. But it's a stereotype that it's mostly gay men and and women. And, and like, why did that ever like, why was this ever considered not masculine um, in the way it's kind of happening with chefs right now where like food cooking is seen as feminine, but like being a chef is still seen as traditionally masculine. And yeah, yeah. Um, but like, and that's only really in our culture. Ha- like that, that's an American thing. Europeans oh, are much it? more like I, I assume that we're we're spreading a poison everywhere. But right. like. It occurred to me like a third of the way through this movie, like, oh, shit, I don't know that he's not gay because he pointedly never has sex. Like he he seduces yeah. her to his off to his lab where he starts dressing her like a doll. And then he introduces her as like, you're living here and here is your bedroom right next to mine. And he wishes mm-hmm. her good night. And then um, there's this point where 
she says, you seem like you're very thirsty. That gets him really hot and bothered. And then they can. But like I he could be bi or, you know, uh, like I was asexual about that. or because that's mostly asexual. Where... Um, he's talking about why he hasn't gotten married, right? Is because he's incurable. All these like coded words for things you might oh, think of as being gay. I'm a confirmed in the 50s. bachelor. Like I, I, when I right. heard that, I'm like, oh, well, he's just gay. You know, uh-huh. that's. And that's then what I think the movie goes on to not really answer that question. I, I like I, I'm not sure that he is, but I'm not sure that he's not. Um, and I don't think the movie cares that much about that aspect yeah. of it, right? This is not about his sexuality. It's about his uh, lifestyle. It's about his his mental illness, whatever that is. Um, it's about power. It's about control. It's yeah. about boundaries. Because um, that's the other thing is like he transgresses her boundaries so many times in the first like they're on their first yeah. date like just goes to wipe off her lipstick and oh i can see the real you and Mm -hmm. and like orders for her and you know like it's it's never quite like completely domineering but like that's definitely the tone that he's setting um and she's like really eating it up but but then there's like like i said that it's a lot of this movie is a study in faces like you can definitely tell she's becoming uncomfortable when she gets back to his yeah. workshop and he starts just like cutting and measuring her like a dress especially when his sister walks in and she's like sister what the fuck shows is up this? <laughs> and she's subtly nagging her like uh-huh. you know you got this and that oh and he likes a girl with a little belly and you're like what the fuck are is this all about because you you do get to understand that that's like um her her, her sister his sister definitely like fought off a lot of these muses over the years you know you almost get the sense that this has happened many times um this particular scenario right where he brings a woman back to the cottage or whatever the hell it is and starts to dress them and she knows just about the time that that's going to happen and shows up this all felt very arranged Mm. uh because otherwise what what sense does this make that she shows up at this cottage at the exact right time to take down the measurements Mm-hmm. Yeah, was he gonna? Oh, was yeah, he no, gonna he, take down the measurements without her? No, I don't believe that. So no, it was a hundred percent arranged. And I think that's the yeah. thing is like go out to country is like synonymous for hunt us a new muse, yeah, right? And I'll be a, I'll be along later is like yeah. Once you've got the deal sealed, which you always will because you're good looking and yeah, you're charming and you're urbane and it's super easy to sweep. That, that's like also like he probably has a type of girl. He you know goes out yeah. to the country. There's a big mm-hmm. hint where maybe there's not like and he can like just really sweep people off their feet. That's like easier pickings. Um, and he just got a he's just just hunted real dangerous game. This bird, but he's thought he had a rabbit ends up. It was a jaguar, I guess. A fox. <laughs> um, what else do we what what else do we got to talk about here? Like this, again, is a fascinating movie, but uh, I, I need to see that a couple more times. Yeah, same here. Um, it, I I don't know. I I feel like the impact of the ending would be diminished now that we've talked about it. But if you haven't seen this movie, I definitely recommend it. As uh, let's talk about Daniel Day Lewis for a second because this is apparently going to be his swan song. Um, the I don't believe it. You don't believe it? Think it's bullshit? He's coming back. I think it's bullshit. Um, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. But I really don't know because Daniel Day Lewis seems like the kind of guy uh, who takes yeah, his work so seriously that he might he might actually 
mean it. If if he doesn't come back, I think it, it like my prediction would be like we'll find out in ten years that he had some kind of crippling progressive disease and he chose to like retire from private life because he could no longer act at his ability. Um, kind of like you know Maybe, where's Sean Connery God been he's the last ten years? Right, he's but he's he's sixty seven. No, he's sixty four. He's sixty four. So like mm-hmm. you know, I could I could see like he's got a an amazing body of work and why not hanging up now? But he also could just be like. You know, I've what what else? And and I'm retiring just so that the next project I get is I, I don't know. I don't he doesn't seem like he's that guy that would like deliberately like I want to retire splashing right. and come back in five years for the right project when Paul Thomas Anderson comes calling for the trilogy, you know? Yeah. But but then again I could see Paul Thomas being very persuasive. Um and if you get him just the right role, he might be interested in coming back another time. I don't know. His his career is obviously storied, right? He's one one of, if not the best actor that I've ever seen. Uh, it blows me away with every role he plays. And his work, his body of work is surprisingly small. Or at least what you mm-hmm. think of as Daniel Day-Lewis. He has a grand total of 30 acting credits uh, over the course of like 40 years. And probably fully half of that is not what you think of as like Daniel Day Lewis, right? Daniel Day Lewis starts at like unbearable lightness of being. That's kind Mm -hmm. of definitive Daniel Day Lewis. And then it goes on from there, but that's like 12 movies after that, Mm -hmm. that he did. And, and he's got like that kind of Kubrick esque, uh, shortage of, of work. Mystique. Yeah, which, which owes, uh, which is owed largely to the very few, the 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 small number of things that he did, right? Um, yeah, I mean Kubrick did probably directed more movies than Daniel Day Lewis has starred in. Uh, is that we just talking about this with John Cazale? Um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. how you pronounce his Fredo. name, Fredo from Godfather. Like he's spoken in hushed tones because he was only in like four films and they were all fucking amazing Oscar winners, right? Is he a great actor or did he just have a great and like, you know, like, but, but the thing that makes him like that mystique is that then he was cut down kind of in quote unquote his prime. So like that's. Whereas Daniel Day Lewis has, I mean, he's undeniably a great actor and he wasn't cut down in his prime. He chose to go out on a high and like, but he did limit his output the last few years. It's been a film every three, sometimes four years before a project comes for So like he, he didn't keep that prolific kind of like, you know, was cranking out because in the early days he was doing like two movies a year, every other, you know, a movie a year. And then it's really slowed down. So that's like it's an artificial demand. You know, he doesn't have like 100 uh-huh. film credits and all that kind of stuff. He didn't has done a shit ton of television work, although he has done so little. Right. Um, he's not. So, so the year theater, of, he's also got a huge theater career, too, on top yeah. of everything else. Uh, the, the year of the Oscars that this movie was nominated for. Um, Daniel Day Lewis was nominated as best. Uh, lead actor but he also didn't win Gary Oldman won and Gary Oldman is like exactly the opposite right he's the guy who did 150 movies oh yeah 200 movies I, I don't know how many he's, movies he's, Gary a, Oldman's he's been not in. just a character actor he's a working character actor yeah, yeah absolutely blue collar sensibilities when it comes to that yeah and, and he's great like I'm not gonna take away anything from Gary Oldman mm-hmm. and say you know oh he's he's less than Daniel Day Lewis and he should have won but there is something about like the mystique of having so few films, uh, so few examples of your work and they're all excellent. 
that is going to add to Daniel Day Lewis's uh, legacy. I think and he is, really is like a Kubrick, where you're going to look at these movies and and those will absolutely. be precious. Those will be valuable because there are so few of them. Especially this, where he's collaborating with Paul Thomas Anderson. Like I, we were talking yeah. about this a little bit before the podcast, but like, yeah, that this that he lost to Gary Oldman, buried in thirty pounds of latex makeup, um, in you know playing Churchill in Darkest Hour. Yeah. 30 years from now, I don't think people are going to think about Darkest Hour, but in 30 years from now, absolutely, people will work their way through the Paul Thomas Anderson, Daniel Day-Lewis collection. Yeah. Uh, like, either way, like, oh, I'm like a Paul Thomas Anderson, I'm obsessed with him, I'm watching everything, or like Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm obsessed with him, What like, this film is going to, like, it might be the Barry Lyndon of uh, the future. Where like Could punks be. like us, you know, like my kid is going to be like, that's fucking movies about nothing. What kind of weird, crazy boomer sex is this all about? <laughs> and like, it's like, is what is anything going to happen? And we're like, it's yeah. the most amazing thing we've ever seen. It's so cinematic and it's so beautiful. And all oh, the restraints and the because the thing is, is like. A lot of stuff I think that like only Daniel Day Lewis can do in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, like just disappear into the role where you stop thinking him as Daniel Day Lewis is very good at that. Yeah. But just like that last scene entirely works based on the facial reactions and what's going on behind the actor's eyes and the ca- and the angles that they're calculating in real time. And and that sense of yeah. control, uh, very few actors get to that level of control um, in their performance that Daniel Day Lewis does. He and and sometimes it expresses it through uh, wild sprints through the jungle, right? But other times it expresses itself through a look and and a combing of the hair. Mm-hmm. The smallest, the most insignificant of things becomes extremely powerful in his hands. I, yeah, I, I can't say enough good about him. Um, and it definitely makes this movie in a lot of ways. Uh, what do you think of the soundtrack? That's one thing we haven't talked about because I like I. I thought so too. It did, but yeah. it didn't like ever get in the way. Like it's just a nice little kind of supporting the thing that's there. It didn't try to like do its own thing. It didn't like, yeah, it's kind of funny because like, yeah, there weren't any like big musical cues or stuff like when the, you know, the mushroom things happen. And I think it's in silence. I like the main, the main theme to talk about the music. I like that piano theme. That's very good. Other than that, I didn't notice the music too much. But yeah, it's like I said, the ending, man, because like I was like going into that thinking, well, she's going to kill him. Like mm-hmm. if just uh, the zesting of the mushroom and tea, right. laid him up a low, full of it. She now feeds, he's a whole she feeds him a full. Yeah, she if she is going to kill him. But like I didn't see it coming to where they were going to collaborate on it. And he's like, well, I'm just going to take this one bite and then kiss me before I start vomiting everywhere. Right. Uh, what all, what all was this movie nominated for? Did you do uh, have any of that information, like what it was up against? Because uh, like, so it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Score, Best Costume Design. Which, I mean, that last one, obviously, come and on. It, and it won for, and is it, it did it only win for costume design? Yeah. Damn. If you look at the best, <laughs> if you look at the best picture, so Shape of Water won that year. Uh, is also yeah, that's the year of Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, uh, The Post. Um, Guillermo del Toro won for Shape of Water. Daniel Kaluuya, uh, I know, like, was nominated for Get Out. Yes, same category sure was. as Daniel Lewis. Denzel Washington got nominated for Roman uh, J. Israel Esquire, Timothy Chalamet for Call Me by Your Name. Gary Oldman won uh, Best Supporting Actress. 
Allison Janey, I Tanya. Oh, okay. Huh. The, the about the, the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan thing. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oscars, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? But um, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, thirty years ago, Shape of Water is is uh, as as revered as I'm sure the Phantom Menace is going. The Phantom Menace, the Phantom Thread is going to be. <laughs> Holy hell! I do hope. I do hope. And unless there's some kind of severe health problem, I do hope that he does come back at some point. Same here. Um, I do know that he and, got into a bad uh, automobile accident. Almost lost his arm. Uh, like after like this film, a or little this bit film? after this film came out. Yeah. Oof. Well, like there you go. Weeks. I mean, if you're you're wanting to make every moment, like, because the thing is, like, also how intense this is for him. Because I didn't, re- I didn't do, I didn't have, I barely had time to think enough that this movie to like come up with coherent thoughts. I didn't do a lot of background right. research because, like, you know, I imagine there's got to be articles of like actually Daniel Day Lewis opened up his own private label uh, fashion to show and uh, worked oh, he, under a, a pseudonym he, and he did actually built up authentic a, needle calluses and. Under under one of the of course famous fashion designers that Paul Thomas Anderson became obsessed with and wrote this movie because of. Yeah, he apprenticed right. under that guy. So if you throw yourself in every role and you're making movies every two or three years and they're not making like billions of dollars and in between you're spending time apprenticing as a seamstress or learning how to make a coonskin cap or you know, doing your best Abraham Lincoln impression. Sure. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe you do like your, you may, maybe, I don't know, maybe his uh, wife slash lover slash significant others poison him with some mushrooms and be like, you need to pull it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to, you know, you, you how many, how many years life uh, you, you got left on this earth, especially me poisoning you with mushrooms every five, six months. How, how many, yeah. how many years you got left? Good years. You got left, Daniel. Do you want to keep working until you die or, but I selfishly, I would like to see like a genuine old man Daniel Day Lewis role because this wasn't quite it. I would like to see a legit like old 70 year old Daniel Day Lewis doing something interesting. Uh, Yeah, I I wonder if that is it. I wonder if it's like this movie could have. I don't want to say woken him up to to the trajectory of his life, but like kind of impressed upon him that, yeah, the, the days are limited and you you have been driving hard at this even though like your output isn't a ton it's it's all the things that go go into it um and take away from whatever other personal life you want to have i could see that because the the end of this movie is or or this movie in general kind of is about that and you come out of this and you think like you know how much of an effect this has on the actors who really put themselves into these roles but obviously heath ledger being like one of the most uh, famous examples of that. Mm. I very much believe he could have gotten to a place where he was sort of questioning his own life through the lens of this film and just said, yeah, uh-huh. I'll, I'm done with this. Or I, I read an interview where he, he said, wanted to say that he, he, he wasn't like considering this, his final movie as he uh, went into it. And so oh. that kind of also lends to the idea that it might've influenced him. Because you're right, it's absolutely one of the many things this film is about is about like being late in the autumn, going into winter of your career, and you yeah. haven't changed anything about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of also the problem in art, you know, that you haven't changed anything in the way you're doing. And now you're seeing is like yeah. he, at the beginning of the film, he's like, I don't want these stodgy things. And now you yourself has kind of become stodgy. How do you deal with that? Like, 
Yeah, I almost was about to counter like, well, maybe he chose this film because he feels that chill in his him mm. himself. And like, maybe my best is behind me or is soon going to be. And like, you know, like I'm making these art house films for 12 million. They're making 17. And like, it's clearly, right. you know, the Chris Hemsworth's of the world that is. I, I was going to say, yeah, just go yeah, be in a Marvel like I, movie and get it out of your system. man. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see him as a villain in a Marvel movie. Christ. That'd be pretty fucking cool. But but yeah, maybe yeah. Like hey, it's I don't want to be that kind of joke. I don't want to be the person to read the script. Like yes, yes, it's gonna be amazing, and then it's just terrible. And then like yeah, like also when you're Daniel Day Lewis and you wins your last miss, like maybe yeah. Lincoln was kind of just okay. Um, but like that. you have to go back pretty far to find something that doesn't just completely in like the pressure of like every single time you come out, you yeah. get Daniel Day Lewis and you got to hit a home fucking run. You got to get that 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, get an Oscar, try to get an Oscar nom every single time. It's a lot of pressure too. For sure. And why, why do a movie like if you, if it's only like, uh, it can, it can only hurt your reputation and not, and, and, uh, not really add to it at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. See if he comes Either. back. Well, like I said, uh, selfishly, I, I hope he does, but there's, there's still quite a few Daniel Day Lewis movies I have not seen. I need to continue to work, uh, work through filling, filling the plugs, especially like you said, that late Dan- Daniel Day Lewis, or I guess the last 30 years of Daniel Day Lewis. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, little discussion we had of it. And if you haven't checked out the Phantom thread, um, and this sounds like it's interesting, then please do so. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward. This is another one. Like uh, I have seen there will be blood again since the podcast. This is another of those movies where I'm already looking forward to seeing it again and, you know, letting it sit for another year or so, and then revisiting it and seeing how much more I get out of it, because I just guarantee it's going to at least the second one taking the knowledge of the ending into the rest of the movie is going to be pretty, pretty good trip. Yeah. That's it for prestige this week. We'll be back next week with another movie that could be just straight up prestige could be something we're really hammering to fit into that prestige box. Who knows? We'll find out next week until then. I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.